to get into our message today, last week, Pastor Josiah talked about and started this series on one of the most famous people in the Bible, David. He's actually the second most mentioned, talked about, written about person in the Bible right after Jesus. And we have been in these books, this singular book, as Pastor Josiah pointed out, of Samuel. Um, and David is revered as Israel's greatest king. And these books of Samuel kind of illustrate why and his character and how he became king, who he was as a king, and what kind of comes after that. And this book that we've been studying, this character, is not just like a role model for us to look up to, but it's meant for us to kind of study our own character and study our own hearts, right? This book of Samuel, which is split into two books, First and Second Samuel, is meant almost as like a mirror to kind of help us to look inwardly of like, huh, am I being more like David or like the other king, Pastor Josiah talked about last week, Saul, who was not a good king. And our story last week left off with David becoming king after mourning Saul who died, even though Saul spent the majority of David's life trying to kill David and trying, hunting him down, murdering him. Um, but we left off with David assuming the throne. Saul is dead. And while David is on the throne, before we get into like our main story, I want to highlight some awesome things David did. David actually was the one to establish Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. It still is. That's pretty awesome. He defeated the Philistines so drastically, like Goliath, like those giant people, so drastically they never, ever threatened Israel again in any major way. He took over so many kingdoms around Israel and expanded this empire. And as a warrior and a politician, he was pretty set for himself. He was doing really well. And so we pick up this story in 2 Samuel chapter 11, and I'm not going to read it word for word, um, but if you want to follow along, that's where we're going to be starting at. And we're in the springtime, one night. And the spring is when kings would go to war. But we find David just chilling in his palace. He had sent one of his commanders in his stead with his army to fight. And already, right off the bat, within these first couple verses, we know he's not quite where he's supposed to be. But he just can't sleep, and so he's walking around the palace. He, you know, grabs like a bowl of Wheaties from the kitchen and is like eating some snacks, midnight snacks. I don't know. He finds himself just meandering about, and he goes up to the roof, and he sees this beautiful woman bathing. And he's like, oh, hot dang. And now David has enough wives. Like, but this lady, this, this woman, wow. And he asks one of his servants to just see What's her name? Who is she? What's, what's her story? What's, what's this girl about? What's this girl about? And word comes back, and this woman, Bathsheba, is married. Oh, darn. End of story. And he goes back to bed, right? No. I, we all wish. So David, being the king, he sends for this woman. Even though he knows she's married, he goes, get her, get her come, to come over here, like, Let's do this. And there's this whole thing about, should this gal have been bathing on the roof? Should she have refused David the king's offer? Should she have gone over there? Should he have sent her? And it's all this, like, should-haves, would-haves in this story. But the main point is, is that she does go. She arrives at the palace, and um, they spend the night together. They sleep together, and he sends her home. No harm, no foul. Nobody knows. And end of story, Right? No, we all, we all wish this was the end of the story. David wishes the end of the story. Word comes back, this gal is pregnant. 
And it's definitely David's baby because we learn that her husband is fighting in the war that David was supposed to be at in the first place. And his name is Uriah. Oh, dear. So David, being the smart man that he is, he hatches this plan to cover everything up. He brings her husband Uriah home and all of his men, his whole company, home for a break. And he tells Uriah specifically, like, hey, like, don't you live, like, right over there? You should just go home and go to your own bed and, you know, like, see your wife. You know, it's been a while, right? And Uriah doesn't do that. He doesn't go home because how could he when the rest of his men that he's been fighting alongside don't get to go home to their wives? And so David's like, dang it. And the next night, he has Uriah eat with him, and David gets Uriah really drunk. Like he just, it's a mess. And he tells him to go home. Surely this will work. But Uriah once again does an honorable thing and stays with his men sleeping in a tent in the courtyard. And so David gives up and he sends the company back into the battlefield. His plan didn't work, but he holds a messenger back and he tells the commander to just put Uriah out in the front lines and then just when the enemy gets close, just back away. And the messenger's confused like, what? And David's like, yeah, 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 just, just put him right in front and then step away once the enemy gets there. And he orders the death of Uriah, and Uriah falls at the enemy's hand. Nobody is the wiser because we're in a war. People die in a war. And Uriah dies. Bathsheba, the now widow, mourns, but then marries David and has his baby. Nobody needs to know nothing quite out of the usual here. Bathsheba has a son. And end of the story. David moves on with his life and the kingdom goes on, right? No, we all wish. David wishes. And picking up in chapter 12, I'm going to read this word for word. Here is what happened. The Lord sent Nathan, the prophet, to tell David this story. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had bought. He raised that little lamb, and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. And one day, a guest arrived at the home of the rich man. But instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guest. And upon hearing the story that Nathan told, David was furious. And he said, as surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one that he stole and for having no pity. And Nathan, the prophet who's telling this story, who knows what David did, is like, David, you, you are that guy. You are that man. The Lord, the God of Israel, says, I anointed you king of Israel, and I saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house and his wives and the kingdoms of Israel and Judah, and if that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. Why? 
Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonites and stolen his wife. From this time on, your family will live by the sword because you've despised me by taking Uriah's wife to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Because of what you have done, I will cause your own household to rebel against you. I will give your wives to another man before your very eyes, and he will go to bed with them in public view. You did it in secretly, but I will make this happen to you openly in the sight of all of Israel. And then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Would you pray with me? God, I just pray that as we look at this story that is filled with imperfect people, and imperfectly perfect circumstances, God, that we would see your character shine through, that we would see your love, that you would open our eyes to hear what you are speaking, to see how you are moving. Jesus, you are a good God, and you are good at being God. And just help us to encounter you today. And everyone said, amen. Now, Saul is not a part of this story. We talked about him last week. He was a king, anointed by God, and then God was like, hmm, no, you are not fit to be king because he made some mistakes. And at this point in the story, he's been dead for years. But in order to fully understand David's response and how important it is and how, how valuable, how significant it is, we need to rewind time and also look back at Saul. Because Saul made mistakes too. We all, we all make mistakes. Raise your hand if you've ever made a mistake. Like five of us. Cool. All right. But why... Did David get to still be revered as the greatest king of Israel? Why didn't the Lord take the throne away from David, but he did Saul? Because you see, Saul disobeyed direct orders from the Lord, much like David. And when the prophet Samuel went to visit Saul, Saul made up every excuse in the book. He tried to cover it up with pointed fingers at, at the Israelites, at his people, lame attempts to justify his sin. And even after Samuel tells Saul the consequences of his actions, he still tries to put blame on others before begging for forgiveness himself. And honestly, humanly, what Saul did, he, he spared some cattle and a king. But he didn't like murder one of his own men and as as kind of a human part of me thought like Saul didn't do like the very worst thing like David did like something like really bad Saul eh, humanly I thought that but the difference here friends is that upon the prophet Nathan confronting David David immediately says I have sinned against the Lord and he goes into this time of fasting and prayer and mourning for his sins and for his son because later in the story in chapter 12, Nathan tells David that, yeah, God forgives you, but your son is still going to die. He didn't talk, David didn't talk about the fact that Bathsheba was so beautiful or the fact that she shouldn't have been on the roof bathing. He didn't get upset over Uriah wanting to stay with his men instead of being with his wife or wanting to go home. He didn't try to twist God's words to fit into his sin. He just says, I have sinned against the Lord. And a beautiful thing that we have from this story isn't even in the book of Samuel. 
We in the Bible get kind of David's personal journal entries in the form of the book of Psalms. He wrote most of the Psalms in that book. And we know for certain that Psalm 51 is in direct response to this story and something that came out of this time of him repenting and confessing this sin. And I want to read it to you. It says this, Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say. And your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me, now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O oh God who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. You do not desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Look with favor on Zion and help her. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will be pleased with sacrifices offered in the right spirit. With burnt offerings, the whole burnt offerings, then bowls will again be sacrificed on your altar. That was his prayer as he mourned what he had done, as he confessed, as he was caught in the act of sinning, as what he thought he had covered up came to light and came to surface. And if I was David, I'd say if I was David sitting up in heaven, I'd be kind of peeved that my biggest mistake was in a book that is very eternal that billions of people read every day. I would not want that in a book immortalized forever. Like, I don't know about you if you want your greatest mistakes in a book that is like the number one book sold, but I, I'd be sitting up in heaven going like, God, are you kidding me? Why would you put that story in there? Can we go back to Goliath? But it's not about what David did wrong. See, I think we kind of focus on the actions of David in the story, and we go, oh, he sinned. But it's not about him and Bathsheba. It's not about his son. It's not about killing Uriah, even. But this story needs to center on how he responds and how God responds as well. And we can learn a lot from this response he has. And the first one, the first thing that we learned that I really want to get out of the way here is that you are never too far from God's grace. 
because I want to get this out straight away because I believe somebody needs to hear that this morning. You are never too jacked up, too calloused, too broken to disqualify yourself from forgiveness, to disqualify yourself from love and from God's calling on your life. Plain and simple, this thing that David did should have disqualified him. Many leaders even today that have done something remotely similar have been disqualified because they did the same thing as David, but David was not disqualified. You would think that he would be. And we still praise David for being this amazing king. We still love him. We still think of him as a hero in the Bible. There is grace there that not only we have given him as people and as kind of a society, but what God has given him. And this grace is not only extended to David, but is extended to all of us. We have this same grace. We have all messed up and done really horrible things. I, I can't say if anybody has murdered anybody in this place. I'm, I'm assuming no. But we have all lied. We've cheated. We've stolen. We've gotten too angry. We've said horrible things. We've done horrible things. We've made mistakes and hurt others. But we are never disqualified from the grace that God could give us, friends. And you need to know this because here's the kicker. It's not about what we do, but it's all about the posture of our hearts. In this moment, what makes David so different than Saul so different than other people in the Bible is what his heart was like during this time. His heart was truly repentant, truly sorry and upset about what he had done. Have you ever tried to make like a four or five-year-old kid or teenager even apologize to somebody? Like, and they don't want to apologize to that person? And you're like, hey, go say sorry to your brother, your grandma, your sister, whatever. And they kind of just like shuffle over and they look at their, they don't even look at the person. They go, sorry, and like shuffle back to where they were. Or maybe you have done that apology. That's not what David was like. He didn't shuffle up to God ashamed or making excuses or not seeing the big deal of what was going on. He came to God openly approached God and said, Lord, have mercy on me, for I have sinned against you. His heart was in it. We can see it in the way that the author of Samuel describes him in chapter 12 in his time of mourning. We see it directly in his writings from Psalm 51. He understands what he did was wrong, and he means what he says. His emotions reflect his heart. And friends, I don't want us to get too confused because it is about the posture of our hearts. It is about what we feel and where we're at, where our motivations lie. But David still did sacrifices. He still did kind of the religious things throughout this time. He fasted. He, he did make sacrifices. But the sacrifices, his acts of worship in this time, are a reflection of what his heart was feeling. It was a direct result of his attitude rather than a show of what he should do out of obligation. I think sometimes we come in and we, we're struggling with something. 
We've been justifying a sin for far too long. Maybe we're caught in a lie. Maybe we hurt somebody, but we don't think that we really hurt them. And we come in and we, we say, sorry, God, and we, we do this church thing, and we still kind of live in this sin or in this, like, tension. But we're still, like, worshiping God. We're still praying and praising his name, and we get kind of caught in this callousness to our sin where we are still doing the religious right things, right? We're still going to church every day. We can still call ourselves a good Christian, but we're not actually dealing with what's inside of us. We're just going through these motions. You see, David didn't do that. He didn't just go through the motions for the sake of going through the motions to get through it. Because when he did sacrifices, that made him clean. What made him clean was his confession to God and his attitude right after coming out of that. And the story doesn't end with David just going, God, have mercy on me, and God gives him mercy, and then all everything is rainbow and butterflies for David. It is not. And I think that's something that we also miss because we still reap the consequences of our sin, even if we do turn our hearts. It's kind of a fact of life, right? When we, when we hurt somebody, that stays there regardless of confessing it to God or not. And it takes time to get away from that hurt. It takes time to heal. When we break the law, it follows us for a time. And eventually it goes away, but we still have these consequences. David's sin followed him. He did not only kill Uriah the Hittite, but as a result of that, his own son died. And then it didn't even end there. His whole family, we read in the rest of Samuel and 1 Kings and 2 Kings, his whole family line is messed up. There is rebellion. There is sexual assault. There is horrendous things that his sons do. He did the right things. He had the right attitude, but he still didn't get off scot-free. And I think... We can trap ourselves in this mindset of if we do the right equation of things, if we sing the right songs, if we confess correctly, then whatever we do doesn't have a consequence. Because you know God forgives us and there's grace. Right? I, I've fallen into that trap. But we have to remember that as much grace and forgiveness is given, there are consequences to our actions. There are repercussions to what we do. And we still have that forgiveness and grace, but we might have to walk in some hurt for a little bit. We might have to do some healing with other people, with relationships. Worship team, you can come up at this point in time. But friends, today we have an opportunity to learn from David's mistakes. We have all made mistakes. The five of us that raised our hand, at least, have made mistakes. We have all done horrible things, things that separate us from God, that separate us from others. We call that sin. We've all messed up. But this morning, I believe we have an opportunity to turn our hearts like David did. David said, create in me a clean heart, O God. We have that opportunity to cry out, to confess, to turn our hearts around back to God to, to not just put 
our sin, our mistakes in the shadows of the cover-up story that we have, we have an opportunity this morning to bring it to light. And I'm not going like, to be like, everybody confess your sins to everybody else. No, 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 we're not going to get on the microphone. But we have a moment right here, just you and God. Just say, have mercy on me, O God, for I have sinned against you. And you don't have to do it in that way, but even just reaching out, crying out to God, be like, God, I messed up and I need help. I need your forgiveness. Would you help me to turn my heart back to you? Would you help me to be better? Would you forgive me? Would you extend this grace? And so we're going to sing a song in just a few moments. Would you stand with me? And I want you to take this time to personalize this moment to think about maybe some sins, some things that you've been putting in the corner and covering up. This morning is your morning to even tell God. He knows, and that's a really scary thing, he knows already, but when we confess with our mouths our sins, and then we confess he is Lord, there's forgiveness there, and you're not too broken, you're not too far off. And so as we sing, I want you to think about these things, to reach out, don't shrink back, don't make excuses, don't point fingers. Because as much as David reaped the consequences of his sin, he was never disqualified. We love David, he is a hero, he stayed safe, God provided and loved him and he is still called a man after God's own heart. So I want to pray for you this morning before we sing this song. Would you pray with me? God, as we go into this time of worship, as we think about the things that we have done, as we think about the ways we messed up, Lord, I pray against the shame that can condemn us. I pray against the excuses that may rise up God, I pray that you would open our hearts, that you would do something new, that you would bring to light the things that maybe we don't even realize we are doing. And Jesus, I pray that you give us the strength to confess. Oh God, have mercy on us. Would you forgive us? Would you turn our hearts back to you? Create in us a clean heart, oh God. Renew to us the joy of your salvation. Then we can go forth and bring light. You are good, God, and you are good at being God, and you are still going to be good for us and good to us even when we mess up and fall. But God, help us this morning to fall into your arms. In your name we pray, amen. Would you sing this with us? You know, I sat there listening to the story of David and the mistakes that he made, which were massive. I mean, you could probably call this rape in a way, uh, using his power to get what he wanted as king. Completely unacceptable, completely immoral. Uh, as far away from godliness as you could even imagine. And there are some of us, some of us in this place, like you're hearing these words right now and you're, and you're like, 
I've been there. I, that this is, in a way, your story. And understand, and, and such a massive part of this story today that I feel Pastor Gabrielle communicated so clearly was just how you respond has everything to do with this situation. As the previous king responds poorly to his mistakes and he loses everything, David responds repentant, humble, um, regretful. Sure, he felt shame, he felt guilt. All of that was, a, you can see that in Psalm 51, but what a beautiful moment is he just pours out his heart and says, oh God, make in me a clean heart. And for some of us in this place, this is, this is where you're at. And you have lived a life filled with mistakes, filled with things that you regret, filled with situations that you would be embarrassed if any one of us knew. The grace that is shown to David, let that be hope to you today. Come on, somebody. That's incredible. It's incredible. And with no one looking around, just a time of privacy and just reflection here for a moment before we're done. Who here in this place would just say, man, God is speaking to me today about my own life and my own situation. If that's you, will you just show me your hand? You just show me your hands. Thank you. Many, many hands in this place. God, I pray for the hands that are lifted up even in this moment, God. Uh, God, we have all failed. We have all fallen short. There is no one righteous, not even one, as your word states. But God, for some of us, we seem to carry with us the guilt and the shame of what we've done and who we were and where we've been. And God, I pray that even in this moment right here, that there would be a sense of freedom that is felt as we understand and we receive your grace that looks past all of what we have done and loves us the same. And God, just the way that you respond to a humble and repentant heart. And so God, we humbly just say we need you. We need you, God. In your name, we pray. One final thing just before we go. Maybe you're here today and you've never been here or maybe you've been coming for a long time, but you know that you're not right with God. You know that you have not really even made a personal decision for yourself to respond to this message. See, see, God, the story of God and man, he created, this perfect God creates us, yet we turn our back on him. That's the story of his creation. It separates us from this perfect God. It's why he sent Jesus to die for you. There is forgiveness, there is grace, and it's all found in what Jesus did on the cross. But the scripture says that you must put your trust in him. You must put your faith in him and, and you will be saved is the words that the Bible uses. And maybe you're here today and with no one looking around, last thing of the day, last thing of the morning for us here right here. But maybe you're here and you would say, Pastor Kyle, I have never individually responded to the message of Jesus myself. And I want to do that today. I want to put my trust in Jesus. I want to put my faith in him. If that's you, this could be your moment right here. If that's you, would you just show me your hand and say, I want to do that today? Anyone at all? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Anyone else that would just say, today is my day? Anyone else? And church, church, let's do this. Let's, let's pray a prayer together just to kind of help with this situation. Everyone in this place, pray this with me. Pray, Father God, 
I give you my life. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Forgive me of my sins and change my life. In your name I pray. Amen, amen. Come on, can we put our hands together? Let's celebrate that moment together. God, we thank you for that. God, we worship you. And God, I pray that as we walk out these doors today, let us be more aware of you and your very presence and your grace than we ever have been before. God, help us to show people your love, to tell people your story. Change us, challenge us, move us, oh God, we pray. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus. And everybody said... Amen, amen. Hey, thank you so much for coming today. If you'd love to spend some time in prayer, you're welcome to come and do that. Um, Otherwise, you are dismissed.